Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. You guys enjoying the most tentative time of the year? Naturally speaking. Right, you can tell that summer is over, winter is coming. Has anybody gotten out to Spearfish Canyon? Up into the needles? My goodness, you have maybe three or four days to see the colors in their true magnificence. Just do it. I know it takes some time, but it's one of the best times of year for me. And if you don't get out into the hills to check it out, you just miss it. It's gone. My name's Evan. I'm the pastor down here. Looking around, I think I know all of you. So sweet. So as Derek mentioned, we're starting a new series today. First um, John. It's only five chapters, five pages in my Bible. But we'll start today and finish right before Christmas Eve. There's a lot of complexity and intensity in this book. Today, we're going to be looking at four verses, and I wish I had an hour. But fortunately, for your sake, I'm capped off at about 35 minutes. All right. So before we get into it, I want to give you a little context to move into what I feel like this passage is about. I think that it's widely recognized that we, the human race, are social beings, that we long for connection with others, that we best operate in teams, and that innate, excuse me, intimate relationships are integral to a good life. We create relationships on all different types of platforms. Think about your life. Hobbies. can be climbing, biking, knitting, right? Photography, Facebook, right? Whatever you're into. Your profession. Think about the connection that you have with other architects, other graphic designers, right? Other builders other teachers. We do it through family. We do it through our heritage, who we are, where we've come from. We do it through sexual attraction. We do it through politics. There's so many different platforms. And each each of these gives us the opportunity for our passions to fall in lines with others. Out of this, we're able to share common ground, which can give us a chance to connect with another individual. And this seems to be what everyone is longing for. Due to biblical truth, I believe that this is what we are created to do, to have fellowship with others. According to the Bible, the primary reason that this is the way that we are is because we are created in God's image, and God himself operates in community. It's an interesting thought, but let me show you what I'm talking about. Genesis 126. I guess I'm all up. So then God said, oh, if you would go back one. Thank you. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image. Did you catch that pronoun? He didn't say let me in my image. He said let us. Interesting, right? If you go back even 24 verses right at the beginning, the earth was formless and void and darkness covered the face of the deep while a spirit from God swept over the face of the waters. The spirit. It could be the Holy Spirit. When we get to John, we see in the beginning was the Word. Notice Word is capitalized. That means it's a proper pronoun. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him and without Him not one thing came into being. What has come into being was from Him. This is what is known as the Trinity. There are three different parts to God. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. This is definitely a complex thought worth pursuing. But right now, I simply want us to note that the one in whose image we are made operates in a community. Always has, always will. 
Our creator has connection and intimacy with other parts of himself. And as we'll see since the beginning, mankind is one of the same thing. Genesis 2.20. The man, Adam, gave names to all cattle and the birds of the air and to every animal of the field. But for the man, there was not found a helper as his partner. Eve follows this. After Adam is created and given a purpose, God recognizes that he still needs one more thing, fellowship with another. And the same is true for us as well. Deep within each of us is a longing to connect with others. You know, we sometimes get this from the random run-in with a friend or a coworker, or occasional, the occasional hello at the grocery store, although cell phones and masks are making this less and less common. But we all want more of this. We all want what the Bible refers to as fellowship. It's a biblical term, but I want to unpack that. We saw this this summer during our study through Acts. Let's look at Acts 2, 42 through 47. They, the apostles, as well as everybody else that fell in line, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. Awe came upon everyone, because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their numbers those being saved. You know, one Bible dictionary defines fellowship as communion, sharing, participation, close mutual association. From what we see in the early church, it is an extremely close bond between people. The type of connection where people spend time together, where they want to spend time together. The level of unity that allows them to have a common vision to the point of being willing to sell all of their possessions and to distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. And when I hear this, my immediate reaction is that it is incredible, but it's more of an ideal than a reality. There is no way a group of people today could do that. Even though we can connect through hobbies, jobs, and politics, the connection very rarely, if ever, goes as deep as what the early church got to experience. But then I'm reminded that these were real people, just like you and me. They battled selfishness just like we do. So there must have been something that they had figured out that allowed them to connect in the ways that we all intrinsically desire. Now I believe we get direct insight in this from John, one of the disciples and apostles of Jesus. So this is the passage that we're going through today. 1 John 1, 1 through 4. We declare to you what was from the beginning. What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This life was revealed, and we have seen it and testified to it and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. We declare to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy, it's also translated your joy, may be complete. Kai, go ahead and just leave that up there for a bit. You know, as a formal, former English teacher, I cannot read passages in the Bible without taking notice of conjunctions and contrast. Yes, I'm really that big of a nerd, right? 
These are words that connect or contrast ideas. They are simply words or phrases that are easily overlooked, but that contain such power in understanding a passage. Does anyone see the conjunction or the connecting phrase in this verse? Two words. Keep going down. Six line down. So that. Let's diagram the sentence. It's one of my favorite things to do in seventh grade. Like I said, I'm truly a nerd. All right, so the first half, and it's crazy how long that sentence is. Right? You see the period all the way at the end? Second, there's two sentences, but that first one. Anyway, so the first half of this sentence, Jonathan is stating that they, the disciples, are declaring or openly telling people about what they experience when they are face-to-face with Jesus. So that more and more people can have fellowship with each other. That deeper connection that we all long for. That type of bond that would empower people to share all things, including money, for the sake of an end goal. Are you seeing this? In many ways, language is a lot like a mathematical equation or a blueprint. Words are specifically put together to create an idea. And it was once said that there is one thing stronger than all the armies in the world, and that is an idea whose time has come. And the idea that is being presented here is that Jesus is the ultimate unifier. That the God of the Bible has the ability to draw people together from every age, race, nationality, interest, and political belief and give them deep and genuine fellowship with one another. In the next 15, 20 minutes, whatever I got left, I want to show you why Jesus can do this, why Jesus is the ultimate unifier. Now, I love the way that John starts this off. I think you can go to the next slide if you would. Just break it down for people. We declare to you what was from the beginning. I'm going to help you unpack this. My hope is that you go home and do it again on your own. He first states that they declare to us what was from the beginning. Another way to put this is that he is telling us about something or someone that is timeless, that is universal and absolute. Someone that does not vary from season to season or culture to culture. Instead, he is steadfast and unchanging. And the longer that I live, the more I see this is what we all need. You know, even after only 38 years of living, I see life is a lot like an ocean. One moment, it's full of beauty and fun and simple joy. The next, it is full of raging waves, undercurrents, and sharks. And we all long for stability, the idea of contentment. But if we seek it through our own thoughts, agenda, and whatever circumstance and culture we are in, we will never find it. The only place to find deep peace and a settled soul is if we turn to someone that was from the beginning, to the one who created life, that formed the earth and everything on it. You know, the passages from Job popped into my mind. This is from Job 38, kind of broken up. This is God talking to Job. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds so that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightning so that they may go and say to you, here we are. Who has put wisdom in the inner, inward parts and given understanding to the mind? 
Is it by your wisdom that the hawk soars and spreads its wings towards the south? Is it at your command that the eagles mount up and makes its nest on high? Is it because of you that the colors in Spearfish Canyon are lighting up the way they are for two weeks? Answer God's questions. Was that you? Are you the reason why life exists in all of its grandeur? Was it your political candidate? Was it your NBA or NFL superstar? Was it your pastor? If it isn't us, who is it? In John's other book, we get an answer. We already read it. Let's read it again. In the beginning was the Word. Again, capital W. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning with God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. And without Him, not one thing came into being. Please lock in on that last sentence. All things came into being through him. And without him, not one thing came into being. We are so temporary and our minds and our wisdom so fleeting. When we trust ourselves and our logic, then we will be like a tiny bobber in the midst of a raging sea. But when we go to the one who is from the beginning, then we can find truth that is unchanging which can keep us anchored regardless of what our circumstances or our culture throw at us. Let's keep unpacking 1 John. We declare to you what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, and what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. So John, the author, continues by saying that they heard, saw, and touched what was from the beginning. This, is, this should cause us to stop and wonder how. How could men of flesh and blood personally experience what is timeless and all-powerful? This is what separates Christianity from every other religion or spiritual belief. The one who was from the beginning stepped into our time and space. The creator and ruler of the universe became man and lived amongst his creation. No other belief system that I know of declares this. And what is crucial to know that this isn't simply mythology, a story created, told, and retold until it was seen as truth. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is historical fact. I'm hoping I'm entering into more of that intellectual realm. This was so important for me to understand years ago. It unlocked the truth of the Bible. Now, if you spend time researching the historicity, it's just a big word for historical validity of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four different books that chronicle the life of Jesus, no other ancient historical text is more valid. Let me give you some proof. We all know the name Julius Caesar, right? Who was he? Emperor, Roman emperor, thank you. From the historical documents, we know that he defied the Roman Senate and caused the rise of the Roman Empire, which was controlled by the emperor. The reason we know about him and what he did was from written history, historians recording the events of their day. From the text entitled On the Gaelic Wars, we have 251 copies. The entire thing, just 251 copies of this time. And the oldest is some 900 years after Caesar's time. 
That means that we see Caesar and his reign as historical fact because a text was written about a millennium after it happened. Please consider the weight of that statement. When you look at the Gospels through the same lens of testing, they are an entirely different ballpark. In 2017, there were almost 6,000 copies of the Greek New Testament. The oldest manuscript, which just happens to be the book of John, has been dated at 125 to 130 AD, which is only 25 years after the original book was written. And I hope you're picking up some of what I'm saying. If you want to go deeper into this biblical nerdy world, please come and talk to me. I'll give you books. It's crucial to understand that our God created us to be logical and analytical, not just, yeah, this is what the pastor says, it all must be true. And what we go off of for historical fact, the things that our kids are taught in school as being absolutely true, are doubtful at best in comparison to the New Testament. This and many other apologetics show us that Jesus was real, that he lived for 33 years, that during his three and a half year ministry, he roamed the country teaching and performing miracles. Then he was crucified and buried, but three days later, he literally rose from the dead. Historical fact. John, the author of the biblical text we're exploring, was with him during his days as a teacher and a healer. That means that he wants to, to explain to his reader the life that Jesus lived and the message that he shared, which he got to witness firsthand. He wants to let others know about this because of the way, because the way that Jesus lived, what he did and what he taught. People then are able to experience deeper connections with each other, the style of relationship that we all long for. Hope you're kind of understanding the overall premise of these four verses. In the text, 1 John, that lies ahead of us for the next couple months, we will be studying um, what John explains about the message of Jesus. He says this in 1 John 1.5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. Right? And the rest of it is the message. I really look forward to reading and interpreting this together. Get into a small group. We have them available. But right now, I want to give a quick summary of the message that Jesus brought for our sake right here. What was from the beginning, that which is eternal, came to the temporary because of our brokenness. The one that made each of us became flesh and blood because of our desperate need to be saved from our own foolishness. Everyone, including you and me, is inherently weak. We do the best we can to live life well, but continually make poor choices. Mistakes that stem from our innate selfishness. Our poor choices bring heartache and destruction to our lives and those around us. We all have our stories. Instead of simply stepping away from his broken creation, God, our creator, decided to step into our world in order to bring us life that we need, but we cannot get on our own. We see this in First John. One, two, this life which was revealed and we have seen it and testified and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. Like John said, part of the life that Jesus brings is eternal. That means that he has the ability to give our souls, the eternal parts of each of us, life, even after our bodies die. This is what we refer to as heaven. 
Jesus gives a person the opportunity to be face-to-face with the almighty maker of everything after they die. But the message of Jesus' life can also give us a better life now, in the midst of the temporary and broken. Because the one who is timeless came to our ever-changing cultures, we can see the way that we must live and treat others that transcend the popular and the trendy. He shows and teaches us the need to make God our priority. Above our professions, our hobbies, our political views, and our desire for pleasure. If we want the best life possible now, we must do this. Go to God. Because only the creator knows how a creation should function. Jesus also shows us that our second priority must be loving others the way that we want to be loved. Remember that we were created to live in a community, to interact with one another. For this to work out well, we must love each other. We must selflessly come alongside one another in encouraging and supporting ways in order to build up, not tear down. Jesus not only taught this message, he lived it out. Like Derek looked at a few weeks back, Jesus was continually making time to get away with his father pulling away from the hecticness of his important schedule in order to make God his priority. He also made others and their needs more of a priority than his own. From teaching his disciples how to live, healing the sick, spending time with those who were seen as wicked, and in the end giving his life as a sacrifice, he showed that he loved them. He put their needs above his own so that they would feel worthwhile and cared for. Out of this approach, Jesus was able to connect with people from diverse backgrounds and lives were deeply changed. And this is the message that John wants us to know, to take time to consider, and then to begin to live out so that we may have fellowship with each other in this church, in your community, in your job place. Now, why does Jesus' approach to life bring fellowship? Analytical. I just like to ask questions and then see what the Bible has to say. Through my study, I've seen that the answer to this is quite simple. The reason why Jesus' way of living brings unity is because of the natural byproducts that come from his approach. When a person lives out of a selfish mindset, things that break down and destroy relationships naturally occur. Let's look at Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, that's just like doing whatever feels right, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, it's like hatred, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissension, faction, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and these things like these. How many of you want to be a part of a community, feel free to leave those up, that where enmity, strife, jealousy, quarrels, and envy are common. What is it like to be in the midst of this? Does it create a safe environment where you feel comfortable being open and taking risks? Does it create a deeper drive within you to support and encourage other people in whatever passions they may have? Does it make you want to come alongside people that are hurting and struggling with their own foolishness? According to Galatians, these are natural byproducts of the flesh or human tendency. When we operate out of our own logic and emotion and that of our culture, 
We will produce characteristics that are cancerous, that will destroy the unity and bond of a community. When something like politics is our main focus, then disunity will run rampant. I've been watching this happen firsthand this week in Rimrock downtown. Last Sunday, a message was shared on the church's call to evangelize, specifically to do this through first meeting the needs of those who are struggling. After we do this, we have a platform to share the gospel. This message was, has biblical backing, but it was also laced with political flavor. Because of this, our community reacted in an uproar. I've never seen a message receive so much attention. Right? Normally, you guys forget what we said before you even finish lunch. Right? But this week, I've received so many texts, emails, and calls for days. And every single one of them was enraged about the message or that the message had been taken off of social media. And we are a young church, and this is our first church conflict. Fun stuff. Through this, I have seen how easily a community can be pulled apart when it is no longer fully focused on Jesus and his message. And this is both because of the message and our reaction to it. Here at Rimrock Downtown, we do not promote political agenda from the pulpit. We do not focus on the responsibilities of followers of Jesus without surrounding it with the context of God's grace. And we do not use the Bible to push our own agendas. It makes sense why this stirred us, so many of us up. But as community, a community of followers of Jesus, children of God, we must be careful not to ostracize an individual for having different political views than you. We must be careful not to hang a person for addressing controversial issues. If and when we do, we are fully operating out of the flesh. We are allowing our selfishness to be our guide. We are walking down the road of enmity, strife, angers, and quarrels, which has the ability to dismantle our beautiful community in a matter of days or weeks. Instead, we must choose to handle this in the way that Jesus did. Jesus does. He's alive now. If we keep reading Galatians 5, we see another list of character traits. It's called the fruits of the Spirit. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. Man, how much better does that sound? Who doesn't want to be in a community with love, joy, and peace? Who doesn't want to be surrounded and supported by patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And in this setting, a person has the ability to flourish, to live life to the fullest. They also have the ability to learn and grow from their mistakes, to experience what the Bible refers to as sanctification, the process of being slowly transformed into the likeness of Jesus. In the context of what Rimrock Downtown is currently dealing with, if we would individually and collectively be seeking peace, then many of us would have reacted differently. If we would approach this challenging situation with patience, kindness, and gentleness, then we may have the ability to see things through a different lens than our own, through that of the Spirit. By operating through the Spirit, we may be able to have more compassion for a person 
or people with different views than us. People of our church that come from different backgrounds. People of our community that have different passions. People of Rimrock downtown that have different views on things that we do, such as how our government should function. When we have conflicts with other Christians and we choose to think and act through the fruits of the Spirit, again, to be patient, to be kind, to be gentle, then our disagreements don't have to lead to conflict. Instead, they can lead to us being challenged to try to see things from another person's point of view. Challenged to think outside of what we assume and always have assumed is right and go back to the universal or absolute truth. Above all, the ways of the Spirit can challenge us to love people that are different than us. And this is exactly what Jesus did. Check it out, John 13. I give you a new commandment. That's to his followers, his disciples, to many of us, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Think about how Jesus loved us. How it had nothing to do with who we are and the way that we lived our lives and the fact that our belief systems fully fell in line with biblical law. And he asks us to come alongside people and love them in the same way. You know, I really want to make sure to end, though, on the fact that there is no, no matter how mature a person is, they cannot do this on their own. There's a reason why these things are specifically labeled as the fruits of the Spirit, not fruits of a mature Christian, fruits of an intellectual and compassionate individual who is well-balanced and liberal, right? Fruits of the Spirit. It's because they come from God himself, not from us and our best intentions. Paul directly states this in Galatians 5. This is right after the fruits of the Spirit. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If, see that choice? If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. It's up to us to let Him be our guide. If we want to love people in our community in ways that allow us to have true and genuine fellowship, we must fully depend on God to make this happen. John says the same thing at the end of the passage we're looking at. We declare to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship was with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. He's saying that our fellowship with each other ultimately stems from our fellowship with God. It's all from Him. If we keep reading in 1 John, we see that this style of approach, this style of approach to those within our church will bring us complete joy. Think about that. We are writing these things so that our, again, some translations say, your joy may be complete. Imagine being in a community overwhelmed by joy. And we're going to end with communion. And you'll see we have a nice pandemic-certified, prepackaged <laughs> form of communion. If you guys want to come up and start passing these out, as they pass them out, I want to explain to you what communion is. Communion is a physical representation of Jesus and what he did. 
Did you hear me? A physical representation. There's nothing holy about this object. This is not his real flesh and blood. But it's a physical representation. And we see before Jesus kind of stepped into that platform of sacrifice, he practiced communion with his disciples. He broke the bread and he poured the cup so that way they could come together united by him. In the world of English, you guys can even understand this, communion sounds a lot like what? Community. Right? That's why we do it collectively. Because our desire should be, as a church, as followers of Jesus, to be united fully on Jesus and what he does for us. Everything else should be secondary. Our hobbies, our passions, our political views, whatever we're into should be secondary to this. This is what has the ability to unite us like nothing else ever can. So let me quickly read to you what Jesus said to his disciples in Luke. Feel free to take the bread wafer, whatever, out. He said, this is my body, which I is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Can I have one too, please? And then he did the same thing with the cup after supper, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood. As the musicians lead us into another song of worship, I strongly encourage you to think through the beauty of this symbolism. fact that this is where our unity must lie in the broken body and the spilled blood of the God who created everything that came to save us regardless of who we are and what we bring to the table Jesus is the ultimate unifier